All right. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another week of Future Food Weekly. I'm Sonali Figueres from Green Queen, and my host, Steve Molino, is joining me. Hey, Steve. Hey, Sonali. How's it going? Well, it's. Uh, I can tell you that things have ramped up. It, it feels like, you know, this is the week where it's all come back. Um, we are just drowning in news to report. Um, there's so much going on. Today has been especially crazy. Um, and, you know, the big story, uh, which just broke a few hours ago, is, of course, um, well, not of course. I don't know if everyone's going to have read it already, but um, I, it's certainly all over my LinkedIn. Um, the big, big story is Israeli company Aleph Farms has uh, gotten itself the world first uh, regulatory approval, no questions letter from the Israeli authorities for their cultivated beef. So just as a reminder to all of our listeners, um, this marks only the third company in the world to get approval, um, any sort of approval. Eat uh, Good Meat uh, from Eat Just in the US got Singapore approval. And then last summer they got USDA approval after getting FDA approval. Upside Foods from the US got US approval, FDA and USDA. And now we have Aleph Farms in Israel uh, getting a no questions letter, which is similar to the FDA no questions letter in the US. Um, the company is calling it the world's first regulatory approval for cultivated meat. Um, so they were, the Israeli Ministry of Health has confirmed no questions that Aleph cuts which is their, their sort of their product that is, they call a petite steak, beef steak made from cells is um, safe to eat. Uh, so this allows the company to market its products in the country and can eventually plan to roll out at restaurants and retailers. So this is a huge deal. It's the first company in the world to get approval for beef. Both Upside Foods and Good Meat are chicken, are working on chicken. So it really feels like great news um, in the middle of, uh, you know, a great January here. And um, it's also a milestone for Israel. Uh, Israel, you know, is in, the, is in the news a lot lately. And, you know, we're not going to talk about that here. But Israel has been long for the long time a hotbed of innovation in food tech. It is one of the most important food tech markets in the world, second only to the U.S. in terms of number of companies and amounts raised. So this is, it's really exciting news. It's, it's a real boost to the ecosystem. It's also, and, and we can talk about this more after you tell me your thoughts, but I think it's also a bit of a narrative uh, change given what's going on in the US press around cultivated meat lately. So what, what do you think, Steve? I mean, this is, it, 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 it makes sense why it's the big story. This is, not something you see every day, right? Third company ever to get approval uh, for for a cultivated product, and the first ever for beef. It's funny because, like my my initial gut reaction was <clears throat> that this is obviously a good thing, but then I'm like, I, I honestly, I said to myself, I was like, I was like, so is like, is the big story going to be every single time when another cultivated company gets approval? Because uh, there's there's a lot of them out there, right? Where it's like, it is a big thing, but like in my mind like okay well i, I want to see them execute now right or i want to see do consumers want this or are they able to actually sell but i don't 
want to downplay how big this is because this is an entirely different product category. It's an entirely different nation and part of the world. And it's really, really, really exciting. And to your point, I do feel like this is an example of how the differences in the way countries or governments look at food sustainability and food security, how that can impact who has a first mover advantage. And I really do think that Israel um, will probably move very quickly in terms of progress and success in this space. Like we've seen politicians there doing tastings years ago and uh, government support and things of that nature. So I, I'm very excited by this. And then I know you want to talk about this, but the idea that in seeing something positive when that we've seen a lot that's negative recently about regulation on cultivated, particularly, I think it was in this newsletter somewhere like about like there's basically a push in Arizona to ban cultivated products in, in the U S. So seeing that, and then seeing this regulatory approval in Israel for Olive farms beef, um, it's a sign of hope. And it means maybe, maybe the U S is going to be missing out on some things and other countries are going to kind of, um, take the baton and run with it. Right. So I want to talk a little bit about that. Um, there are two things I want to, I want to get to here. One is the narrative, which is, um, in part really, um, dominated also by media headlines, which in, in the last few months have just been relentlessly negative in a lot of mainstream U S media and tech U S media. And we've talked about that before on this podcast and, I won't go into all the details, but some of it is absolutely misinformation. Some of it is poor journalism and some of it is just people jumping on a clickbait bandwagon. Um, but there is this narrative now in the U S you know, and, and actually funnily enough, uh, a newsletter just dropped today where a journalist was basically like, Oh, you know, nothing has happened in seven months since the approval in the U S um, well, obviously something happened today. So it was, it was funny timing, but um uh, at a federal level, right, which is where the USDA, Department of Agriculture, and the the FDA operate in the U.S. Obviously, there there has been a green light, and they were you know only second in the world to do that. And obviously, the U.S. is huge market, so it's it was a big signal to the market it, back in June, July when that all kicked off. Um, but what's what we're now seeing, and what we've been reporting on, is you know in Florida, you had a, a congressman who's gone anti plant based meat. You've got um, these two Arizona House reps today or, or this this week who also have decided they want to push to ban cultivated meat. So it, cultivated meat has suddenly become this kind of bellwether, this like gauge for, you know, competing ideologies of like a vision for the future. Um, and we've seen what's happened to plant-based meat as a narrative in the U.S. specifically, and, and it, it's really just had an effect just on the sentiment of the sector. And, you know, I think a similar feeling is happening in cultivated meat, but I think the Aleph story is such a good reminder that first of all, it's a big world out there. Um, and the U S is not the only market in the world. And it, it, once again, a lot of people don't, don't think about this, but in other parts of the world, land and water are much more scarce. Food security is something that is much more important at a national level the U.S. is a net producer of food with, you know, unlimited, almost like agricultural land. That is not the case for a continent like Asia, um, countries like China, 
where it's limited. Um, Israel is another, you know, these kind of countries and, 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 and places need to rely on innovation and thinking through things differently to feed growing populations, rising middle classes who want more animal protein. And so the outlook is completely different. And that's why it's, such a, it's so important to look at things more broadly and have a more global view of things um, and not just get caught up in kind of the American you know, ideology fight that can sometimes dominate the headlines. And also kind of is unfair to um, all the people working in the food system at a more granular level that are not you know, playing politics and playing media games and who are just like working on solutions to advance the future of food. And so no, I absolutely, absolutely. And I think the food the food security idea is one that, like, over the years, I've I've realized like how legitimate that is in different countries. It's like you said it, like the U.S. We have a lot of land, a lot of resources, et cetera. But like, I, we have a company that we invested in that they're they're in a different space, precision fermentation, but they they focus on dairy proteins. But basically, they 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 are opening up a, a, a facility in. Um, in Abu Dhabi. And, and the reason being is at one point of Abu Dhabi apparently was flying thousands of cows over to their country and then using them for the traditional like animal ag practices. But like, think about how insane that is in theory. Like they don't have the ability to, to raise those, those cows naturally in their, their geography. So they have to basically literally fly them over. So, if all of a sudden they couldn't do that, then if people needed or wanted to eat dairy or meat or whatever, they would not be able to do that. So from a food security standpoint, being able to tap into cultivated or precision fermentation, um, it, it just it allows them to decouple food production from land. land in a very serious way. And it's a real thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. The land light approach. And I think it's very difficult for, for fo certain folks in Europe and the US or, or countries like Brazil, where there's just like so much land to think like that. And, you know, it, it's just, it's so funny. I was having a discussion today with a really interesting guy who works in sustainable aviation out in SF. And, and, and actually yesterday too, I met another guy who works in, um, in tech for like carbon, carbon analysis tech and, and climate tech. And he's also based in SF and, and neither of them are American. They're both kind of, you know, implants into America, but they both work in tech. And we were talking about how Silicon, when you're in Silicon Valley, you really see why certain apps and ideas came out of that particular environment. And so we were having this conversation around your environment really dictates how you look at innovation. And I think that is such it's such an, this is such an example of this, right? This idea that we're talking about. And if you are surrounded by farmers and ag land and like, you know, miles and miles of, 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 of corn rows or, or crops, you're gonna, you're not gonna look at food scarcity and, and food security the same way. Whereas if you grow up surrounded by an urban jungle and you never see farms, you know, then this idea that like food can be made in vertical buildings is is not as alien to you um and and you know it just it's just such a different way of thinking about about the world and i don't think we have enough conversations about innovation and how environment specific it is because basically i was talking to this guy and i was like you know when i first heard about uber 
it really didn't make sense to me um, just innately, instinctively, like growing up in Hong Kong, because we have fantastic public transport and it's a pedestrian city and the distances are actually short. It's just that they're crowded. And so just the sheer fact of living in a city with, you know, 8 million people is, is going to have a different, like, you're not thinking let's add more cars to the party. But when I'm staying in San Jose, going to a conference, and there's like these huge empty boulevard roads, um, and I need to get somewhere in five minutes, but the distance to walk would be like an hour, Uber makes so much sense. And so it's just, yeah, your environment and your surroundings really influence your innovation philosophy. Absolutely. And it's an interesting thing here because like, like call it 10, 10 ish years ago, there were entrepreneurs and investors that said, we want to make the food system more sustainable. And that inherently means looking at things just as like a global food system. So it started off as this, this idea of let's just do these innovations, the same innovations, but everywhere, but we're, we're now seeing things mature. And, and people are realizing it makes more sense to do certain things in certain geographies versus others. And, and when I say mature, I, I, maybe that's not the right word to use because we're still, it's still unclear how things will ultimately play out and which countries will end up being uh, major producers of any of these products versus importers of them. Um, but but I, I, I think similar to the current food system, every, every country won't be producing and consuming in the exact same way. And there will be competitive advantages for uh, certain products or technologies in some areas versus versus others. Um, so, And it also speaks yeah, so to the importance of localizing innovation ecosystems and localizing ideas and localizing products and really empowering yes. local entrepreneurs and talent who can innovate and, and think of solutions based on local domestic needs. Um, so, so all in all, this this has really devolved from just a cultivated a cultivated meat milestone, but um, very exciting news from from Israel. And congratulations to Aleph Farms, and also very exciting that it's a new species. Um, beef is the holy grail, I think, in many ways. Um, it's it's just it feels different than chicken in many ways. Um, so, very exciting. Absolutely. And All right. What else caught your eye this week? And and I will say it's not an easy choice. I mean, it, there are like so many stories we should talk about, but we're just we're not going to be able to do that. So let's let's skip to your next highlight. Yeah, there are a lot of really good ones. And um, before I jump into that, I do want to just say that we I know at the very end of, of last week's episode, we were talking about the mouth off cereal that that Kellogg just introduced. Yeah. And yeah, the Gen um, Z high protein, low sugar thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, and and I will say I was going grocery shopping and I saw it right there on the shelves. Incredible um, shelf placement, and it's already out there. But it was ten dollars a box, and uh, for people not in the U.S. or maybe not even in in my area, it's very normal to see cereal boxes between like four to six dollars. Ten dollars is a lot. So I, I so Nolly and I were joking last week that well, I mean, this is going to really hurt uh, companies like Magic Spoon, which aren't fully plant based, but they have that high protein type aspect for cereal. But they're selling at ten to eleven dollars a box. Well, maybe it won't hurt them so much. So um, <laughs> I, I would imagine the price will come down. But I was I was quite shocked to to see that. Um, but yeah. 
Interesting. Aside from that, this week, I, I, I in the newsletter, um, the thing I wanted to bring up was that Next Level Burger acquired Veggie Grill. So um, basically, Veggie Grill and, and, and Next Level, they're, they're two uh, fast casuals or fast food chains in, in the U.S., that are fully, fully plant-based. They're separate companies and now they're, they're not. Um, but I've been following the veggie grill story for a while now, just because I've, I, I don't, I don't, I, I've known TK Pillen, one of the, the co-founders. I don't know him well, but I've known him well enough where every time I saw something on veggie grill, it kind of caught my eye. So I've been watching it and um, there's been a lot of ups and downs. So to see that veggie grill has been acquired by next level, uh, which had less, the fewer number of locations than veggie grill. So it seems like the smaller ones acquiring the bigger one, uh, at least from a location standpoint, maybe not from a revenue standpoint, but um, it was, it's interesting. There's not a lot of M and a happening right now. There's not a lot of exits that are happening. So on one hand, this is really good. This is really good because veggie grill gets to continue to operate, continue to, to make customers happy that, that, um, that are currently big fans of it. On the other hand, from more of like an investment standpoint, I'm I'm not sure that it's really all that helpful to future entrepreneurs that want to start a restaurant and need to raise outside capital because it said that next level raised twenty million dollars in a prior round and they used some of that to acquire Veggie Grill. So that means a maximum of twenty million dollars, right? Which obviously right. it's less than that. But and also yeah. Veg Invest had to come in at the very last second and save Veggie Grill. So right. that means Veg Invest might have done okay on this, and every other prior investor likely did not do that well. So that's going to be something that other investors look at. They're already hesitant to look at restaurant chains or restaurant approaches in general. Like I know we we don't tend to look at those. Um, but the last thing I'll say on this, because we could talk probably forever about it, the last thing I'll say is I really think that this just highlights the importance of team. I obviously I'm biased. I like TK a lot, um, but it really, even in the story that's out there and there's various stories on it, it shows that basically Veggie Grill is doing well. TK would take, take do something else, whether work for a power plant, which is now called Ground Force. It's another investment firm. And then they'd need to bring TK back in when things were going bad and they'd fix it and leave again. And then they bring him back again and he would fix it again. And I'm sure it's more than just him. Like there's probably so many people involved, but it's it's just a blatant example that the right team can make or break what you're working on. Um, so kudos to TK and Veggie Grill. I'm excited for Next Level Burger to take it to the next level. That sounds so corny, but that's <laughs> that's what I want to say. Um, and yeah, I thought it was interesting. But what do you think? Well, there's two different things. There's the actual story itself, and you know, I I do rec I do think people should go and read our story. We we got a lot of extra facts. We we spoke to the next level folks. Um, it, interesting to me that next level was you know according to them doing well. They had fewer outlets than Veggie Grill, and Veggie Grill has had seven has seventeen now as of the acquisition, and next level had about ten. So I think that brings them to about twenty seven. Um, but Veggie Grill previously had many more. I think at one point they had 37 um, and, and COVID really hit the company hard. And um, it, TK did come back early 2020 and then ended up staying because of COVID. And, and he, he did a lot to really help the company, but ultimately it's, it's been a brutal, 
um, I saw that he spoke, he, he shared in a LinkedIn post that what was brutal during COVID is that they really lost things like their regular lunch crowd. And then those people didn't come back after COVID because of like remote working and flexible working, et cetera. So there were a lot of different things. He also called out um, misinformation around plant-based meat as a reason for some of their struggles, which I'm really glad he did. Um, I think we need to, to start calling that out more as, 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 you know, because it is so irresponsible and especially given that, you know, we need to be reducing meat. It, it's just interesting that, that he said that. Um, so that there, there's a lot of interesting details about the story. It sounds, uh, from what I understand though, nobody from veggie grill is staying on and next level is just kind of taking over in terms of the management, et cetera. Um, but separately, I think we are going to see so much consolidation in the space. And actually there's two more stories today that have come out. Um, one are, is both of them are coming out tomorrow on, on Green Queen. We're, we're still kind of reporting on them, but I'll give a preview. Um, so V2 Foods in Australia has acquired two meal, um, plant-based meal delivery companies and meal kit companies. Um, so that's quite interesting. Obviously last week we had the big news around uh, Matthew Glover's like vegan food comp uh, group that, uh, you know, the meatless farm and VFC uh, folks um, have gotten together and created this new kind of entity. They want to be like a vegan Unilever. I also just saw um, just earlier that um, Nut Pods, which is the, um, uh, Forbes has an exclusive on this, but uh, the non-dairy creamer company Nut Pods has just been acquired by M Pearl Rock, um, which is an investment vehicle. So I think we're just going to see a lot of, I think we are actually going to see a lot of M&A activity and I'm already seeing it all, all, all around. I mean, that's needed though. That really is because yeah. like for new investments to get or new companies to get off and running, if they do need outside capital, then that outside capital, we, we, we basically look at it as like, okay, if we invest, what, what is the exit going to look like? And if there are no exits, then it's like, how, how reasonable do we think that that could be? different by the time this company that the new investment would be exiting in. So um, I would love to see more M&A activity. Obviously, we'd love to see really good, sizable deals getting done. But um, even consolidation and any M&A is, is a good thing at this point. But aside from that, what um, what else stood out to you in the newsletter? Yeah, I mean, there's a few there, there's a few things that that I would love to talk about, but one that I thought was fun and a bit different to talk about is that UC Davis, uh, you know, the University out of California, they just launched an alternative protein center to advance commercialization. Um, I think we're going to see a lot more of these like future food or alternative protein kind of um, courses and programs and diplomas. We just did a piece where we highlighted all the different um, universities where you could go and study alternative protein. Um, there's certainly more and more courses. There's more and more interest from folks who want to get into future food from an innovation point of view. So I think it's, it's great. I, I also thought it was interesting because UC Davis is both very much a center for alternative protein innovation, but it's also the home of um, Frank Mitloner. I hope I'm saying his name right. Um, and he is the head of an agricultural research center and is kind of backed if you follow the money by big meat. And he's been extremely anti-alternative proteins, anti-plant-based meat. 
Um, he's 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 led campaigns against Beyond Meat and against you know the sector, and he was one of the lead uh, detractors of the 2019 Eat Lancet report that was calling for meat reduction uh, in terms of consumption. So it's just been interesting. And at one point in the New York Times, um, the New York Times did a whole piece on his links to the animal ag industry. Um, he's also questioned LCAs and cultivated meat. Um, and then it's not just him. There's a bunch of researchers that um, the, the NGO Changing Markets that does campaigns around climate, they called, uh, they, they describe UC Davis as big ag conspirators. So it's just interesting to me that the same university can have, you know, this amazing innovative um, program and center for alternative proteins but then also house some folks that are literally deny like denialists of the sector. Yeah, it is super interesting. And like, I'm, I'm less like plugged into like the university environment um, and how things work internally and any politics involved. But like, I would love to understand like, like is this new integrative center for all proteins? Um, like was this, done in coordination with this the guy that you're mentioning no 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 totally separate no totally separate um right i wonder if they brought him in at all and said like what do you think or if if all of a sudden he's reading the news and this pops up and he's just like uh yeah i'm gonna have to move universities now (laughs) no i think universities have like all kinds of different kind of moving parts and different like locuses of influence i think that uc davis is a very interesting university because it's an it's a, it's a very food and agricultural linked university just because of where it's located in California and it's you know it's it, California is such a big agricultural force so for example like UC Davis has like the Robert Mondavi Center for Wine and Food Science um, you know there's there's a lot of different innovation and 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 like niche specific ag or food kind of uh, centers or kind of groupings. And so this is just another one. Um, at the same point in time, Frank Mitloner and his and his colleagues, they put out a lot of research that is in kind of in conflict with like the idea of alternative proteins and, and, and the, the future of the space. And that research can sometimes get weaponized. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's normal competing political interests and, 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 and narratives at universities. Um, so I'm sure he would have he would have known it was happening, but it, he just does his own thing. Um, yeah, I mean, I would hope that they kind of like leverage that um, where like, I know this is kind of like a weird idea, like, cause it's kind of like saying I want pushback on this, but for this new center, like I would, I'd be, I would hope that they could kind of not work with Frank, but like when they put out pieces, like get his thoughts, get his team's thoughts, the researchers thoughts that he's working with on things and like, Again, it may all be negative and, and and all that, but like, it's it's not something that that the rest of the world's not going to say at some point either. Like, there's always going to be dissenters that exist. So, I, I feel like they could they could leverage that type of dissenting opinion internally and and really bolster their research or bolster what they're working on. Um, I don't know. Um, it'd be it'd be it'd be interesting to see if they did that. Yeah, absolutely. Let's, let's, let's watch. Um, okay. Well, it's time to close this up and you need to tell me like, what's your positive of the week. And then I do have a couple of shout outs I want to make 
um, because it's just, as I said, it's like a big week. Um, so what's the positive? Yeah. So the positive this week is um, I think it's a really cool one. So um, there's, there's, there's a, a thing it's in the newsletter, but it's the ultimate food tech resource guide. Um, and it's actually published by a, an industry friend of both of ours, but Daniel Scavin Rubin, he, he, he put this out on LinkedIn for a couple of days. He was tagging a million people and saying, who, who are, who are the best investors in the space? Who are the best journalists in the space? Who are the best, whatever, what are the best conferences? And he was consolidating all that information. And I didn't really know for what, um, but it turned into the ultimate food tech resource guide. And I really just think it's just an amazing resource that now exists open source to anyone. And there's, 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 there's lists on basically media, newsletter, podcasts, influencers, events, incubators, and accelerators, funding resources. So like VCs and angels and grants, uh, leading food tech and ag tech universities, and then just other, other useful resources, but it's not a small list. And I, and I think that this is the type of stuff that's like needed to push things forward. I remember when I was first getting into this space, we'll call it 2015, 2016, I was looking for something like this because I was just trying to learn anything. And I wanted to see who the experts were, talk to them, learn from them, listen to podcasts, read newsletters. And it was, there was just not a lot out there. So to see not only so much out there, but then also a consolidated list that's available to anyone. It will be updated over time. Um, it takes a lot of time and effort. So to Daniel, I just want to say thank you to, to you for this. And um, for anybody listening, if, if you want to get really, really smart on sustainable food, I would probably start with this, this, new, uh, this new resource. Yes. And we're not just saying that because we're both mentioned and our podcast is mentioned and my, and our newsletter, my newsletter is mentioned. Um, like, yeah. We're kind of a big deal, right? Yeah, I don't know. No. <laughs> but okay. A couple of <laughs> things about Daniel. First of all, he has a fantastic newsletter himself called food tech weekly comes out every Friday. Great read. Definitely worth subscribing. He does these like really good in-depth interviews and you know, every newsletter, it's funny. They all have a different lens. And so like, I enjoy having multiple different newsletters around the industry because there's always something that you learn from each one. You know, they're, they're all quite different. Everyone has their, you know, their locus um, or their lens. Um, and Daniel definitely is one of the most connected people in the space. One of the first people I connected with in the space, um, especially in Europe, he's, he's a mainstay, but, but even beyond that, um, he told me he put this together because he just got really tired of constantly being asked, oh, what, what podcast should I listen to? And what newsletter should I subscribe to? And like, man, he has saved me a lot of trouble. I think I've sent it to five people already and it's only been out since Sunday because I get that question too. So he's saving all of us a lot of time. Um, and I do want to say one more thing. He is, uh, he's, he's a very being Swedish where they're a lot more advanced than other countries in terms of gender equity in many ways. Um, he puts a lot of effort into making sure that there is gender equity and parity on his resource. And you can see, if you read it, it is just like very, there's so many women um, influencers, like thought leaders that he, he tags and, and founders. He's very, it's very broad. He's also, uh, he made an effort to have stuff that's beyond us and Europe. Um, obviously, you know, he wants to build that out further to have like a lot more around Latin America, Africa, and, and APAC. 
Um, so it's really great. It's, it's broad and it's, it's diverse and it's like what we need. So I'm really glad you brought that up and everybody should go and um, absolutely like book tag that. I also want everyone to go and download our new Tyndall report. We have been working for a few months with Tyndall Foods on a fantastic market research report where we kind of document um, the five success fundamentals of their rocket ship journey. And I really recommend it to all people who are growing a brand or looking to start a brand or, or to marketers, branders, even investors. Like what is it about Tyndall Foods that has made them be able to raise 130 million and, and, and have this team spread out all over the world that is so cohesively uh, tight and, and managed to get into 10 markets in under three years. It's, it's a really fantastic story and we're really proud of it. We just launched the report today. So go and download that, um, everybody. And finally, GFI, you know, the, 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 the main think tank of our, of our industry has just put out a survey and they're asking for everyone to go and, and share, share their thoughts and feedback. Um, there's a link for it in the newsletter. So there's a lot going on. A lot of things to surveys to answer and reports to download and, and pages and guides to bookmark. Um, and Green Queen is also going to be dropping another big resource next week. I'm really excited. I'm going to tease you guys. I'm not going to tell you what it's about, but we've, I've been working on that also for three months with some fantastic researchers. So it's just, it's nonstop lately, but yeah, so much packed in there. So if you're listening to this podcast, make sure you go back and check out the newsletter. Um, and we will be back next week with more future food headlines. Um, so see you then. Bye, Steve. Bye. I'll talk to you then.